Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's a profound quote at a difficult time. We see it in our own spiritual lives. We see it in our own walk with Christ. And that when we see things in this world that cause us to get angry, that we look at and say, this is the darkness of the world. There are times where we think, I really just wish I could go take care of that situation. And yet there's the truth. That darkness cannot be driven out by more darkness. Hate cannot be driven out by more hate. It takes light and it takes love. Our passage today hits all of us. It's in the book of Ephesians. It's in chapter 5. We start in verse 3. We continue our series today as we look at the fact that we are children of light in Christ. That's our identity. Now, I have to confess to you, there are days and there are times where I don't really feel like I am light. I, I don't really feel like some days that I am a child of light. There are days where wrestling with my own thoughts, wrestling with my own flesh, wrestling with my own sinfulness and temptation, I really don't feel like this text fits. But there are also days when I look at the video that started us off at the beginning that reminds us of chapter one. There are days I don't know that I really feel like I'm forgiven, redeemed, adopted, chosen, and loved. But the truth of the text tells us that if we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are truly chosen before the foundation of the world, loved in Christ Jesus, forgiven and redeemed by what he did on the cross, adopted into the family of God. And today we learn that we are light. We're children of light because God himself, our heavenly father is light and he is good. So today our passage gives us stern warnings. We need to take those warnings seriously about our conduct and about our conversation. It tells us for those that find our identity in Christ that we are no longer darkness. So we can't associate with darkness. Think about that. I'll come back to it. But if you are light, you can't associate with darkness because if you are light, everywhere you go, there is light and darkness cannot be there. The light drives out the darkness. You can't have light associating and blending and mixing with darkness. So what we are called to do is to shine our light on the darkness, to expose it. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, this text tells us that it can be transformed to where it too becomes light. And thus, Ephesians 1.10, God unites all things to himself. So our central idea, our main idea of our text today is that as children of light, we seek to avoid, expose, transform darkness into light. As children of light, we seek to avoid, expose, and transform darkness into light. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the text of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure 
or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Dear Lord, I don't know that I fully understand this passage. But as we walk through it today, I pray that you would guard my mouth to say only that which you want me to say, not to say that that you don't want us to say. And Lord, help us to be challenged and drawn closer to you and to realize that we should walk as children of light. For Jesus' glory and in his name, amen. And you may be seated. I have two points for you today as we walk through this text. The text breaks down from verses three through six and verse seven, it transitions to talk about light and children of light. So that'll be our second point. The first point is to avoid the shameful darkness of sin. This comes through three through six, but you pick up pieces of it later when it talks about don't even speak of the shameful things which they do. So verses three through six and a few other places throughout, avoid the shameful darkness of sin. That's what we're commanded. It's a negative statement. We don't like looking at negative statements, but sometimes we need to. So we look at what is said to us as Paul challenges us here. He gives us a list of threes. Sexual immorality and all purity and covetousness must not even be named among you. Now think about what he's saying here. Think about the command. This was an area where the goddess Artemis, Diana of the Ephesians, was regarded as the fertility godless. They had sexual orgies regularly associated with her worship. In an area where the society was engaged in rampant sexual activity and was obsessed with sexual things, here comes a text, here comes a preacher through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who says God is telling us, do not be involved in sexual immorality or all impurity. Not just impurity, which we get, but all is before it, all impurity or covetousness. And covetousness defined later in our text as idolatry. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is anything we place above God. God's rightful place in our lives on the throne of our heart, as some have said, or in charge of everything that we do. Anything we put in that spot, sports, grades, a degree, a girl, a guy, material possessions, reputation, so here we start off with a command that immediately I look at my own life and I look in the mirror and I have to say, ouch, this hurts. Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It doesn't stop there. Verse four, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, 
nor crude joking, which are out of place. See, just, you don't understand. You, you're just too uptight. You know, when we, when we get in the locker room, we just joke around, we just have fun, we just cut each other down, and we just make fun of things, and it's just funny. We don't really mean anything by it. You know, using profanity, they're just words. They don't really mean anything. It's all about shock value. We want to do it for those reasons. You've heard people say those things before. And yet our text in the Bible says, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. They're out of place. I've actually had people that I looked up to at times they've been in ministry. I mean, these, I'm, I'm not going to name them. I wouldn't dare name them. I, and if you come up to me afterwards, I'm not telling you who they are. But I have had people that I respected that would, in casual conversation, hanging out with me when I was a little younger than I am now, but not too many years ago, they would say things. And it would just shock me at how, I guess they were trying to be cool or, or they were trying to impress somebody that was younger that they thought would be impressed by some crude joke or something that might make them seem like they weren't too holy to hang out with, or I don't know what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to be nice and make me feel at home, but it wasn't nice and it didn't make me feel at home. It was inappropriate for somebody in a position that they were in to be using language of that sort or joking about things of that nature. And it didn't impress at all. It really put off. It really kind of said, wait a second, you're not who I thought you were. And so let me encourage you as a follower of Christ, if that's what you claim to be, as somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, crude joking is not okay to put people at ease. Filthy jokes. In this context, it can have sexual innuendos because it talks about sexual immorality and all impurity and everything in the first part. And then it talks about, and, and then this, the, the Greek here means somebody that's quick-witted, somebody that's got a sharp mind. And when they say things, they're funny and you're going after them for a laugh. And we see it in Hollywood. We see it in the industry. They'll joke about these things just to get somebody to laugh. And there are even preachers who will joke about things like that from the pulpit just to draw shock value or get people to laugh. But our text today encourages us, don't do that. Don't be that person. Our text today encourages us not to let any filthiness, no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, they are out of place. What does it say replace it with? This is odd. And I don't know that I fully understand it. It says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. So what you would expect to have here is no foolish talk, no crude joking, no filthiness. Instead, let your words build others up. Let your words be above reproach. Let your words be holy. Let them not include all that. You would, an exact opposite. And yet what Paul says, and he's going to come back to it later in chapter five, let there be thanksgiving. To the best I can understand this, what he's saying to us is stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on others. Quit being self-centered and be other-centered because if we're gonna offer thanksgiving, we've gotta recognize that we don't deserve or earn anything in and of ourselves, that God gives us everything, and as God gives us everything, we should give thanks to him for everything he's given us. We should give thanks to other people for their service that they're doing because it's a good deed that they're doing. It's good for them to do this. We're focused on other people, not focused on ourselves. It's not about does somebody else like me. It's not about am I cool. It's not about do I fit in. It's not about me, it's about others. Perhaps what he's really driving at is that there should be an attitude of thankfulness. Have you ever noticed that there are times in life where we get out of being thankful and we get into being selfish? 
We move away from thinking about all the great luxuries that we have to looking at somebody else and thinking about all the things we don't have. How come I don't have this? How come I can't do that? What's, what's, God, why is my life so horrible? As we sit in what the world would consider to be the lap of luxury. Perhaps what he's driving at is an attitude that moves us from self-centered to other-centered. So he tells us this. No sexual immorality, no impurity, no idolatry, no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. Why not? Well, he gives us two reasons, verses five and verses six. He begins in verse five, though, by saying to us, for you may be sure of this. In the Greek, it's a redundant statement. He uses two words back to back to really emphasize it. So he's basically saying, you already know this. You already know what I'm about to tell you, and you know it's true, so don't question it. And here's what I'm going to tell you, two reasons that you shouldn't do this. And the first reason is that there is a guarantee of no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Look what it says in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, you already know it, that everyone who is sexually immoral, just in case you forgot the prohibitions, that was like three verses ago that he just read, just in case we forgot them, anybody who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Sexually immoral. It includes everything. It includes premarital sex, includes extramarital sex, includes pornography, includes same-sex attraction, includes everything. Should not be habitually named among you. Because there's no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Sinful, habitual patterns of sinful activity in our lives should give us great Fear, great concern, and great caution. And it should spur us to say, these are dire consequences. I need help. And instead of hiding it or burying it or running away, we should go to others and say, will you help me? Because see, the consequences of my sinful, habitual pattern of activity, the Bible tells me it means I don't get an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And that means I'm gonna be in hell for all eternity. And that's not what I want. So what I really need to do at this point is deal with my mess, deal with my stuff. And I don't know how to deal with it. So would you help me? That's what we would love for you to do if you're in one of these categories today. Is to go to somebody and say, look, I've got this issue and I need help. That's shining the light on it. We'll move to that here in just a minute. There's a second warning for us that, that tells us this is not a small, trivial matter. It says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one convince you through some philosophic, rational argument. You know how it goes. Well, you really can't be expected to wait until you're married in order to do these things, right? You just, it's just not appropriate. It's just not even wise. You should try things out. You've heard the logic before, and the logic is foolish, and it's against God's wisdom, and it's a lie from Satan. And it says here, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, which should scare us, we've seen it in the Old Testament, we know what it means, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God forbid that any of us would be called the sons of disobedience. God forbid that any of us would have the wrath of God poured out on us. So here we have warnings, and these warnings are heavy. Don't be involved in all impurity, idolatry, filthy talk, crude joking. Okay, God, we need help. We need forgiveness. 
We need you to come along and help us. And we move to point two. Point two tells us in these verses to walk as children of light. We'll get to that exact phrase, but we can't skip over verse seven, which gives you the contrast. Therefore, it says, do not become partners with them. You see how it's setting up the contrast with them, them. Who's the them? Them is the description of what's just happened in verses three through six. All of the things he says don't do. He says, therefore, we're not to be partners with them. Now look at what it says in verse eight. Why are we not to be partners with them? That's the command. Because we have been changed. In verse eight, it says, for at one time you were what? Darkness. But now you are what? Light. Okay, so let me call a timeout here and make sure I make this really clear. The text is not saying to us that there's like a spotlight here in the center of the stage and I'm walking in light, but if I drift over to the far back corner, maybe over here, I'm moving into walking in darkness. And if I walk in darkness, then it's different. And then I can walk in darkness, participate in sin. Hey, how are y'all doing? And then I can move back over to the light and then I can be a good Christian and be back in the light and I can sing and raise my hands, but oh, then I can move back into the darkness. The text is not saying to us, walk in the light, don't walk in the darkness. The text is saying to us that you were darkness and now you are light. So imagine me as a candle with a flame on my head or a flashlight or whatever you would picture. If I go over to the darkness, there's no longer darkness, it's light because I'm taking the light with me. If we turned out the lights and you turned on your phone and your phone represented you and you had your flashlight on, wherever you went, there would be light. There would not be darkness. You can't be part of the darkness. And if you're here and you've been transformed into light and you're trying to be part of the darkness and you think, I wanna have one foot in this world and one foot in this world, it doesn't work. You can't do that. And that may be why you're miserable. Is because you're trying to be darkness, but you're light. You can't be darkness any longer. It's not who you are. Now, maybe you're in the room right now, or maybe you're listening online or watching online, or, and you think to yourself, I'm not a believer. I don't, I don't know about all this stuff. I'm kind of skeptical. Well, I don't know about this place. They got all these rules, and they love Jesus way too much, and they sing about him all the time, and this place is just weird. I don't believe it. But you know what? I'm a really good person. I'm better than the person beside me. And on a graded scale, I'm gonna get in because I'm smart and that's how it works. If you're an unbeliever, hear me carefully. This text tells us that you are not a good person, but that you are darkness. Do you understand what that means? That means before I was saved, I was far worse than I ever thought I was because the text is telling me I was darkness and wherever I went, there was darkness. This reminds us back to chapter two. Chapter two told us we were dead and our trespasses and sins, dead men don't do anything. And so what did God do? He made a dead man come to life and by coming to life, then we were able to do things. We're able to walk in the works that he has prepared for us, Ephesians 2. What this is saying is that you were darkness. If you have repented and put your faith in Christ, been transformed, then you are now light. So this is where I say to you, and this is what I said at the beginning, I have a hard time sometimes looking at my own life and looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, God, you made me light? 
But that's what the text says to us. And we believe the text. We believe the words of scripture. We have to believe what it says about us. And what it says about us is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child adopted into the family of God and God, your father, is light, then you are light. So this morning, we should look back at where we were and give thanks to God that he took us from dead to life, that he took us from darkness to light. And if you're here and you're not a believer and you look at your life and you think I'm a good person, this text should shake your foundation and say to you, you're not a good person. You are a sinful person with evil, wicked thoughts against a holy, righteous God. And you are darkness and you need to become light. And the only way to become light is through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in your life as you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not works. It's not, I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to make myself better so that I'll be acceptable. I'm dead. I'm darkness. And if you're here and you're a believer this morning, you should be so happy and thankful about the power of the gospel that has taken you from dead, utter darkness to light that is alive and has the possibility through the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to live a life that glorifies God and can be used by him. A.B., Second half of verse eight. For you are at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So then, here's your key command, walk as children of light. If you're looking in the NIV, it might say live instead of walk. How we walk is how we live in life. Walk as children of light. And there's fruit there. So what's the fruit of walking as a children of light? What's the fruit of light? It's found in all that is good and right and true. So here we see the contrast again between the devil and God. The devil is the father of lies. The devil is all about deception and evil. The devil is all about wickedness and darkness. And God is all about what's true and what's right and what's good and what's godly. Where do you want to spend your life? Dabbling in deception and evil and darkness and wickedness? Or following and seeking to please the one who is good and true and noble and does things who are right? It's a clear contrast. So just as we are children of God, this then repeats what we had in 5.1. Be imitators of God. This says if you're a child, you imitate. If you're a child of light, you're a child, an offspring of the light. So be light, do what light's supposed to do. If you are a child of a parent, you share the same last name. If a fruit has offspring, if you think about it that way, it's the same type fruit. You have the same qualities produced in it. And so we're children of light. We need to act light, light. And verse 10 gives us a great guiding principle. Here it says in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So what do I do as I grow more mature in my faith and I get into the gray areas, areas where I don't know that scripture really speaks. Maybe it does speak, but it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard. How do I grow and be a mature Christian? This tells us here a great guiding principle in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we look at a situation, we think about God's character, we think about what God has commanded us to do, we look at the principles that are contained in scripture, and we apply all of that to a particular situation and say, God, what would be pleasing to you in this situation? You pray that prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit through the name of Jesus. God, show me what is pleasing to you, what is honorable to you. It may not be what I wanna do, but it may be the right thing to do. How do I do what is pleasing to you? This is a great guideline for us as we encounter things that are difficult. So how do we apply trying to do what's pleasing to God? Well, first of all, you have to know what God commands and you have to know what God forbids. 
And you have to know God's character so you can then imitate God and be a child of the light so that you can imitate the characteristics of God and not the characteristics of the devil. God, I want to do what's right, but if I do, it's going to cost me a grade. And I really want that 4.0 mug. And so I don't know that I'm going to do what's right. Try to do what's pleasing to the Lord. Is it more pleasing to do what's right or to obtain a mug that will one day collect dust hidden in a shelf deep in a closet? Try to do what's pleasing to the Lord. It's not easy. It's hard. And it's hard at every stage of life in different ways. But these are the commands. Verse 11 tells us, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're light. We see darkness in the world. We should expose it. You go through airport security. They want to check everything you have. You don't get to hide anything. You go through airport security and you say, I'm happy for you to scan me and you can look through this bag, but not this bag. This bag, this bag goes with me. You can't look in this bag. And you know what airport security tells you? You can't fly on our plane. No surgeon would operate on you in the dark. He wants light. No dentist. As much as I dislike going to the dentist. Dentists are even bad. Because dentists don't just use a light. They like bring out one of those bright lights that they use in torture chambers and put it right in your face. And then they say open wide. And then they pull out these instruments of torture. Drills. And in my mind, when they start doing that, I don't even know what it is. But when they start doing the it's like a Black & Decker eight-inch drill bit or something. And they're saying open up and I'm just envisioning. He's just up there with a smile on his face, standing on top, not our doctor here in Cedarville, but all other dentists, I'm just saying it's a bright light. You lay a tarp over the grass and cover up the light. What happens to the grass underneath the tarp? Within a matter of hours, it begins to wither and go away. You cover up your sin, it will eat you up like a cancer. Their works are shameful. That's why we shouldn't be engaged in them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Verse 12, it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. So here's, how do we expose them and not speak of them? Because it's shameful to speak of them. These are difficult texts that again, I admit to you, I don't know that I completely understand this, but let me say to you this, in this age of transparency, where we like to talk about all the things we struggle with, let's be careful to guide these words here that it's shameful to even speak of some things that they do in secret. If that's the case, we certainly shouldn't be speaking of them in public in a free way that causes other people perhaps to stumble. And this is where it gets really tricky for a school like ours. Because there are shameful things that happen in most of your degree programs. You think about an education. You think about some works of fiction. You think about some movies in communication. You think about some plays in theater. You think about some works of art that you might need to know about in the art department. And how do you draw the line to say, this is okay because this work of fiction depicts the depravity of mankind, but it doesn't drag you through the mud in the process and cause you to stumble as you're reading it. Those are hard lines to draw. And that's why we have faculty members who have studied these things, who are gonna make sure that they choose wisely and strategically the right works of art, the right books to read, the right things to view so that we're not dragging you through the mud, but so that we're showing you what you need to know so that you go to graduate school, so that you engage the world. But even as you engage the world and consume media, consume movies, consume what's on YouTube, consume the music that's out there, be wise. 
You're going to watch some things, and it's going to depict the depravity of mankind. And as it depicts that, okay, but if it causes you to stumble or sin as you're watching or listening or reading that, that's not good and godly and healthy for you. We're to shine the light on those shameful things. Verse 13 and 14 elaborates on the value of a Christian exposing evil. It talks about when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's a good thing. I'll come back to that. This I don't understand. For anything that becomes visible is light. Paul here is not just talking about shining light to be shameful, to expose somebody, to say, aha, I got you. But he's talking about conversion. So perhaps here what he's talking about is shine the light on it so that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel that they then are converted and they become light. That's the only way I can think of that darkness then becomes light is through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So perhaps this verse has some evangelistic appeal to us. So therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, back to Ephesians 2, dead become life. Arise from the dead, back to Ephesians 2, dead become life, and then Christ will shine on you. And as Christ shines his light on you, then you become the light that then goes out and shines in the dark world. And this is a place, I hope, of light. I hope all of you are followers of Christ. And when you graduate from this place, you're going to take your light and you're going to go out into a world that desperately needs light. And wherever God sends you and stations you, you're going as a missionary to say, I'm going to be the light and I'm going to shine my light on all the wicked, evil deeds of the world. And I'm going to expose them in the right, compassionate, godly, kind way. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel, we're going to create more light. Think if all of you created five, 10, 20 different other examples of light everywhere God sent you so that as he sends you out into a dark world, all of a sudden the world looks very different because the world becomes light. I think this is what he's talking about. Transforming power of the gospel. Our former condition in Adam graphically displayed. Sleep, death, hopeless, despair. Power of the gospel, light. So three possible applications for you of shining this light. Three possibilities here. We shine the light to expose the deeds. But see, I think before we expose others' deeds, we need to expose our own deeds. So this is discipleship. The devil wants you to struggle with your mess all by yourself. He wants you to be alone and never tell anybody else that you've got mess. He wants you to say, I've got it all together and it's perfect and you put up a glass house and we all know that's not true. Of all of us, starting here on the stage, we all struggle with the flesh. The Bible is very clear about it. So what is discipleship? I need to shine the light on my own mess. I need to invite others into that mess with me to help me get out of it, not to drag them into it. And I need to work with others in discipleship to expose my own sin to the light. Would you do that? You don't need to come to me. You don't need to email me. You don't need to tell me. But would you tell somebody? Would you go to somebody? Would you share with somebody? Hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, this is an issue in my life. This is one of the great things about having RAs and RDs and dorm life and having discipleship groups and having advisors as faculty members and being able to go to, to a faculty member you respect after class and say, hey, would you pray for me on this? Would you help me with this? Would you give me some scripture verses to memorize in this? Would you help me walk through this mess? Deal with it now. You say, I'm going to deal with it later. No, you won't. If you're not going to deal with it in a place designed to help you deal with it, where are you ever going to deal with it? It's the devil's lie that will tell you, I'm going to deal with it later. Deal with it now. Evangelism, second application. This text tells us, expose others to the truth of the gospel 
so that the Holy Spirit may turn them into light. The light becomes light. Now, let's be sure our motives are right. We can't shine this really bright spotlight on the dark deeds of the world just so that we can stand up and become popular and get more Twitter followers and have more Facebook status and all this type of stuff, shining the light on the darkness of the world. We have to do it with a broken heart and a compassion in our eyes as ambassadors for Christ, telling them be reconciled to God who is your creator with love. It's not with a hammer. It's with the right heart and the right attitude, but there is an evangelistic application here. And then there's cultural engagement. We shine the light on the darkness so that it is exposed. I couldn't help but think about some things as I read that text. Sexual abuse and assault. It happens in Christian organizations. It happens in the local church. When you leave this place, when you go out, and even as you're here, let me say this to everybody that's listening. If you know of or if you witness sexual abuse or abuse of any nature or assault, the first phone call is not to somebody on campus, it's to the authorities, it's 911. It's to the police. We're not gonna cover up, we're not gonna tolerate, we're not gonna allow things to happen if we can prevent it. It's not okay. It's not locker room talk. These are serious matters that we deal with. And when you go into other places, the same. I think about abortion. I think about the videos. I don't know whatever happened to the guy that shot the videos that was actually indicted for shooting the videos, but the videos that exposed the selling of baby parts. I think about that. That that is shining light upon a darkness that no one wants to think about in our society. I think about what happened in New York to watch legislatures celebrate and applaud that you could have an abortion up to nine months, right up to the day of the pregnancy. And I think as Christians, We get tired of talking about it. I get it. But we can't help but shine a spotlight upon the darkness that's in our society and say, this is murder. This is evil. This is wrong. In the Old Testament, we read about them sacrificing babies to Melech and Chemosh and other places and other things. And we say, how in the world can you do that? And yet we do it. We just do it behind closed doors to the God of convenience, to the God of consumerism, to the God of materialism, to the God of planning whatever we want, whenever we want, which is self-centered. Now, if you're in the room and you have had an abortion, there is grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have all sinned. We have all done things wrong, but we still need to shine light on the things that are wrong with our society. Sex trafficking. Sexual slavery in our world. And even think about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is one of the key times in every city that sex trafficking and sexual slavery pops up in a various location because of all the people with a lot of money to spend coming to an area. We need to point out these things, euthanasia, opioid addiction, depression and suicide among those in ministry. All right, to close us out, think about this. I was darkness, I was dead, I had no hope. And yet the God of grace, the God who in Genesis one said, let there be light, The God who in Exodus was the burning bush and the pillar of fire by night. The God who in Psalm 119, 105 wrote that the Bible is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Jesus who in Matthew 5 said, don't hide your light under a bushel. No, we sing the song about it. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. In John 8, 12, Jesus said he was the light of the world. James, the brother of Jesus said that God was the father of lights, no variation within him. 
First Peter 2, 9 states that we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. First John 1, 5 says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And Revelation 21, 23 tells us that that city doesn't even need a sun or a moon because the glory of God gives it its light and the lamb is its lamp. That God of light has called me out of darkness and said to me, a filthy, rotten sinner in Adam, that my new identity is then in Christ because I was chosen, redeemed, forgiven, and adopted, and now I am light. And it is my command through this verse, through these passages, to go live as children of light, to make sure that I avoid, expose, and transform the darkness into light. That's the God we serve. So what's your takeaway if you're a follower of Christ? As children of light, we seek to avoid, expose, and transform the darkness into light. God, help us to take our sins seriously. God, help us to rejoice in your grace. And God, help us to live out faithfully by your power and the Holy Spirit for Jesus' glory. Amen. And you are dismissed.